0: a story about a young man who was learning to be a paratrooper. Before his ju- first jump, he was given these instructions. Jump when you are told, count to ten, pull your rib cord. In the unlikely event that your chute doesn't open, pull the emergency rib cord. When you get down, a truck will be there to take you back to the airfield. The young paratrooper wannabe memorized these instructions and climbed aboard the airplane. The plane climbed to 10,000 feet and the paratroopers began to jump. When the young man was told to jump, he jumped. Then he counted to 10 and pulled the ripcord. Nothing happened. His chute failed to open. He's now screaming by other people at 180 miles an hour, passing other jumpers whose chutes have already opened. So he pulled the emergency ripcord. Again, nothing happened. No parachute. Oh, great, he thought. And I suppose the truck won't even be there when I get down either. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever experienced failures and disappointments to the point that you just don't expect anything to go right for you? I mean, sometimes the whole world seems to be against us, but then there are those people that just seem to breeze through life. They always land on their feet, and success always seems to come their way, almost to the point of being unfair. What does it take to be a successful person, one who always lands on their feet? What gives us hope? What's the right way to go? Do you go the way of the world? Do you go God's way, because you can't do both? How do you find, how do you live the good life? Today we're in our new series in the Psalms, and I'm very excited about it. We're calling it Multifaceted, Developing a Dimensional Prayer Life. The Book of Psalms is a praise songbook. It's a prayer book, it's a diary. It consists of 150 poignant outpourings of praise, thankfulness, wisdom, complaint, testimony, celebration, meditation, and intercession. And the more we soak our soul in the Psalms, the more we learn about the greatness of our God, and the more we see how multidimensional God is. And more than we know, we live with God watching us. We live before the face of God. So let's cultivate a life of worship. Now, this Bible is God's inspired word. And every psalm is inspired, but somebody put the psalms in the order that they're in, on purpose. Psalm 1 is now Psalm number 1 for a reason. The book of Psalms begins with wisdom from God, and it concludes with Psalm 150 with praise to God. It's filled with wisdom. So Psalm 1 offers us an understanding of the good life that differs enormously from the way these things are usually understood in America today. It turns the common perception of reality on its head and suggests a life of blessing that is so radical that it's remarkably appealing. It basically states that there are two very common and very different roads to follow to find the good life. There's the way of the world, and there's the way of God. One takes faith in yourself and in the goodness of humanity. One takes faith in God, in His provision, His forgiveness, His guidance, His protection, in His blessing. The way of faith puts God first in everything. That is true worship. Worship isn't just singing, and it's more than one hour of church on Sunday. Worship is living an entire lifestyle that brings glory to God, to put God first, no matter the circumstance and no matter where we are. So let me read it to us. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Look how this psalm begins, blessed is the man, or blessed is the woman. I mean, here's the truth, God wants to bless us. And the leading thought here is that the fully devoted follower of God is blessed by God. God is the one who blesses people who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who refuse evil advice. It is in God's law that this person finds their delight. It's the sound of God's voice and through God's direction that this person finds happiness. In short, the understanding of how this life works in this first Psalm is thoroughly God-centered. Isn't this so opposite to the way we often think? I mean, almost without exception, we find humanity today centering fulfillment on itself. Think about it. To have a good time in our society almost always means to go out and enjoy yourself. Not enjoy God, enjoy yourself. Not others, but yourself. We could be extremely self-centered, can't we? In the Psalms, true satisfaction involves not enjoying oneself, but taking delight in a real and living relationship with God. That's the secret of lasting Christian joy. This is so important, so please listen. The goal of the Christian life is not to enjoy yourself. The goal of the Christian life is to enjoy God. In Psalm 1, we have a plea for deeper, more solid, more productive walk with God. The person who has a close walk with God is called blessed. So how can we make the most of our walk with God? How do we cultivate a life of worship? Number one, we must be distinct from the world. Verse one said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Look at the progression in this verse. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Notice the progression of living like the world. First, you walk in the counsel of the wicked. Walking speaks of direction, where we're going. Where do you turn for input, for advice? Not just on Sunday morning for an hour. I'm talking about all week long as we walk through life. What counsel do you get each day? We receive input from the internet, from TV, from print media, from friends, from family, talk shows, on on and on. And a lot of it is ungodly counsel. Don't go that direction. A person separated from the world will not walk in the counsel of the wicked. We must not live our lives like the rest of the world. The word wicked is the Hebrew word rasha. Its root idea is to be loose or unstable. This word carries two ideas. First, it means to be loose with morals. It also means loose from God without Him as an anchor or controlling device. It refers to those who are controlled by their own desires, emotions, and flesh, rather than by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. We are to avoid counsel from those who do not have God as an anchor. Psalm 1 is about wisdom from God. The wisdom of God will affect your walk with God. The wisdom of God will affect your walk with God. Do you walk in the counsel of the wicked? Check out your influencers. Now, there's no guilt trips here, but how much time did you spend in God's word this past week versus playing your favorite game or online activities? Do you know teens all around the world are enjoying an app called TikTok? It's a little one-minute video on any topic, ranging from edifying to despicable. In the last two years, there have been more than 8 billion downloads of TikTok. There are greater than 8 million active users. In fact, some teens are spending more than eight hours a day on TikTok. Hey, what'd you do with your COVID summer? Oh, TikTok. What do you give yourself to? The way of the world is to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Then the psalmist says, or standing in the way of sinners. If we go in the direction of seeking advice from the ungodly, we move from consulting the ungodly to identifying with the ungodly. Standing speaks of how we are now identifying with the way of sinners. We're not opposing their view, we're embracing what they say. At first we walk to the ungodly to listen to what they say. Now we don't walk back to where we should be, we stand where they stand. We identify with their position. I did a great little study this week in the book of Genesis of a lesser known character named Lot. Now his dad died early in his life and Lot was kind of adopted by his uncle Abraham. And Abraham was a man of great faith. He heard God's voice, and he followed in obedience. Abraham put God as number one in his life, and he was blessed. And some of those blessings overflowed out of Abraham's life, and Lot received some of those blessings. But when he was given a choice, they came to a conflict, because Abraham had so many sheep and goats, and Lot had so many sheep and goats, there wasn't enough food and water And so the people tending them were arguing with each other. So Abraham said, I'm giving you a choice. Do you want to choose this part of the land or that part of the land? Lot looked it over and he used selfishness as his way to decide what was best for his life. He saw the Jordan Valley, it was green and luscious. He said, that would be best for my sheep and goats. And so he chose that portion and he moved that direction. And this caused him to live near the sinful city of Sodom instead of with Uncle Abraham and pretty soon he was living inside the city. Then he was living like the people of that sinful city. His family suffered because of his choices. He was standing in the way of sinners. Oh, it didn't happen all at once, but he didn't choose to walk with God like Uncle Abraham. Sinners have deliberately chosen a path contrary to the will of God. Doesn't always happen on one day, but they walk away from God. They stand in the way of sinners. So what comes next should be predictable. They find themselves sitting in the seat of mockers, scorners, sitting speaks of a resting place. We've landed on a position that we feel very comfortable with. And this erosion of godly values is torturous to watch, especially when it's happening in someone you know and love. We first just walked around some ungodly counsel and then we began to stand around in ungodly counsel and finally we adopt it for our very own we now sit down and take our seats. We sit in the seat of the scornful, the scoffers, the mockers. We now embrace ungodliness and scoff and mock at everything that is holy and godly. The word sit means to dwell or to remain or abide. It emphasizes a settled state or condition. I'm afraid this is the state of the majority in our world, even of the majority of the church. Sadly, most Christians look just like the world they live in. It's tragic. We are called to be distinct from the world. Sitting in the seat of mockers, mockers is a word that means to ridicule. Do you know when Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to die, he explained to his followers that he would suffer for the sin of the world and in the process he would be mocked. And the text keeps bringing this out. The people who arrested Jesus in Jerusalem mocked him and beat him. The Roman garrison mocked him, spit on him, dressed him up like a king, put a crown of thorns on his head. After he was nailed to the cross, the thieves hanging alongside of him mocked him. And then at the foot of the cross, some of the religious leaders mocked him. Ha! If you're really the Christ, come down from the cross. Then we'll believe you. Mockers actively engage in putting down the things of God and his word. How do people mock at the word of God? first by blatant ridicule or rejection of the truth in God's Word, but then by listening to the Word being proclaimed and then ignore it. In a sense, we mock the Word when we fail to obey it nor align our lives by it. 1 John 215 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If we want God's blessing, there is a point where we must be distinct from the world. Do you know when a believer is in communication with God, there is peace, there's hope, there's joy in their heart. There is a confidence that God is in charge of the world and He is directing their life, even when things are tough. But when a believer chooses to sin, that communication with God is interrupted. And the more we walk, the more we stand, the more we sit in sin, we're less hungry for God's Word. We're less hungry for relationships with God's people. And our love grows cold. We don't like the dissonance in our heart, between what God's Spirit says in our heart and what I really want to do. their intention tension with each other. And pretty soon, we can get turned around from walking the way of the Lord to following the way of the world. How do we avoid this progression of walking toward evil, of standing in evil, of sitting down in it? How would we go about cultivating a life of worship? Our answer is in the next verse, verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night. Psalm 1 tells us what we must do in order to be blessed by God. We must be saturated with the Word of God. We need to delight in God's Word and meditate on it as much as possible. God is pleased when we pay attention to Him and His Word. He blesses these kinds of people. In fact, we've encouraged people here at South Shores, read God's Word every day. Try to read yourself all the way through the Bible in one year. Get yourself immersed in it. Be thinking about it, talking about it, sharing it in conversation with others. Our Bible knowledge is embarrassingly limited and I'm not gonna test you on it today. God doesn't expect us to be scholars, but he does expect us to school ourselves with his Word, at least enough to defend our faith or explain what we believe. We can make the most of our walk with God by making much of His Word. Learn your Bible. Did you know there's, there's two main sections in the Bible? There's the Old Testament, which was before Jesus, and there's the New Testament, which is about Jesus and after Jesus. And the Old Testament, it breaks down into four sections of law and history and wisdom literature and the prophets. And the New Testament, breaks down into three sections of the Gospels or the stories of Jesus' life and the history of the church and then letters to different churches or individuals. So if you're new to all this, start with reading about Jesus. Get Jesus in focus. He is the center of the whole story. Well, the psalm writer, think about it. The psalm writer of these seven sections in the Bible, he only had one, the law. But still he wrote, delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on him day and night. That means spend time reading and thinking and journaling in God's word. Pick a portion and memorize it. This is a good psalm to memorize. Let it soak in. The idea is to get to the point where God's word permeates our thoughts and we find ourselves daydreaming about what God thinks, what God says. So when we have a decision to make or a crisis to solve or a tragedy to endure, that we find solace and direction and confidence in our God. Get yourself saturated in God's Word, and it will positively impact your thoughts, your decision-making, your conversations. Whether you realize it or not, you are living your life before the face of God. He's watching you, and none of us do it perfectly. No, I certainly don't, but we need the constant reminder, delight in God and in His Word. So cultivate a life of worship by being distinct from the world, and becoming saturated in God's word. And then number three, we must be situated by the waters. Look at verse three. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Trees are important to this world and to humanity. Can you imagine what our life and what our world would be like without trees? Trees are valuable and important. They help hold the soil together. They prevent erosion. They provide protection. They provide food for many other plants and animals. The leaves absorb carbon dioxide and produce oxygen. The trees provide fruit and wood for burning. And they need sunlight and water in order to survive and grow. And just as trees need water for life and growth, so do humans. Did you know most Americans are chronically dehydrated? Even mild dehydration will slow down metabolism as much as 3%. In fact, lack of water is the number one trigger of daytime fatigue. The Psalm is telling us, not only is water important for our survival, but God's word is the living water that comes from God's spirit. To bear spiritual fruit, we must draw from the water of God's spirit. And when a person roots their life near the streams of living water of God's word, they become refreshed and nourished even in times of drought, and it will show. It shows in three ways. He says you'll be fruitful. It yields its fruit in a season. You will be a fruitful person. What is a fruitful person? Well, here's how Pastor John Piper described them. They are refreshing and nourishing to be around. You go away from them fed. You go away strengthened. You go away with your taste for spiritual things awakened. Their words are healing and convicting and encouraging and deepening and enlightening. Be around them is like a meal. So be fruitful, be durable. The psalmist said, whose leaf does not wither. The hot winds may blow and the rain may fail to fall, but this person is planted by the rivers of water. He's planted in God's word. And while other people are withering away, he remains nourished, strong, and vibrant in faith. Regardless of which way the winds blow, He's planted in the word. He delights and meditates in the word day and night. He's durable. He's also prosperous. Salma said whatever he does, prospers. Does that mean if you delight in God's word and meditate in God's word, you'll be like a tree? You will prosper? Yes. I mean, sometimes it looks like the wicked are the ones who are filthy rich and having all the good times and living on easy street. The good person is the one who's suffering. Keep reading God's word. Psalm 73, verse 16 and 17 says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. God gave the writer some insight. You haven't seen the end of their story, not yet. You don't know how their story ends. Psalm 1 4 says, The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. The chaff is the part around the grain that is useless. And the last four words of the psalm say, the ungodly will perish. Verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Take a look inside yourself today. What are you becoming? Are you like a tree planted by streams of water? Or are you like the chaff that the wind blows away? You might fool people, but what's inside will be revealed in given time. Then take a look ahead. How will you be judged? Did you see verse five? It says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There is a destiny we will all be a part of. Up ahead, judgment day is coming and God is the judge. And he doesn't judge on your race or sex or origin or your family. He won't slant in your favor because you were rich or athletic or popular or powerful. God shows no partiality. Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I quote, judge a man not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. And God will judge every person's life on the basis of faith. God has revealed himself and his will in this world. What is your response? On judgment day, the wicked won't be able to stand on their own self-righteousness. They won't be able to stand and look God in the eye. They'll have excuses and excuses. But on that day, none of their excuses will stand. A few years ago, I was going to take my dad on a mission trip with me to Costa Rica. And the night before we left on the trip, he tripped and fell out my sister's back two steps. He broke his femur on one leg, and he broke his kneecap on the other. And he called me to say, I'm so sorry, but I can't go on your mission trip. I broke both my legs. And I said, well, Dad, I'm sorry you can't go, but your excuses are lame, and you don't have a leg to stand on. And we laughed together and he stayed home to get well. So let's take a look ahead. How will you be judged? Verse six says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see you as one of the wicked or as one of the righteous? More importantly, does God see you as one of the wicked or one of the righteous? Your eternal destiny is determined not by chances but by choices. And too often we waffle back and forth between the way of the world and the way of the righteous. Pick one. Dr. Eugene Peterson wrote a book on some of the Psalms entitled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And if we're constantly doing a spiritual U-turn, we're in church on Sunday and we're Christian when we're with our Christian friends, but then we do a U-turn and we go the way of the world when we're around the world. If we're constantly doing these back and forth and U-turns, we frustrate the process of becoming like that tree firmly planted by the living, giving stream. What does it take to be a successful person? One who always lands on their feet? Cultivate a life of worship. That's what brings glory to God and joy and peace to our own hearts as well, amen.